Greetings, friends, one and all. My name is Lewis, and you are listening to Budo, the Martial Way. Today, I would like to talk to you about royalty. This is a topic I have wanted to discuss for a while, not because it is a topic often featured in the news recently, but because my own personal opinions on it have changed wildly over the course of my life. And now, as an Englishman living in Japan, I have certain experience living in the countries of the two most prodigious royal families in the world. So please, let's make ourselves a nice warm drink, get comfortable, and discuss royalty. To begin, let me tell you about my opinion of the British royal family in my teenage years, which I think is now a pretty common opinion, especially among younger and more educated people. <laughs> Quite simply, my main perception of the royals was that they are a bunch of unelected freeloaders. Like most people, I thought that democracy was the path toward freedom. And that the royal family were a relic from a bygone age in which bloodlines were worshipped as a tool to maintaining power among the social elite. That was really, that was the extent of my consideration toward the royals. And although my opinion has changed, I can still understand why people would think like that. It does make rational sense. I am always repeating the passage from the Bible, Thou shalt not worship false idols. As we live in an age which celebrities, actors, musicians are treated like living gods, all of these people are just that. They are just people. And the royal family is no exception. They are just people. And on an individual level, their lives as living, conscious beings are not inherently worth any more than anyone else's. But let's rewind for a second. As I said a moment ago, I used to think that the greatest argument against royalty was the lack of election, with the obvious value that democracy is the greatest virtue. But let me ask you, is democracy so great? Is it? I don't think it is. In fact, I think democracy failed a long time ago, and the systems we have now are a joke. They are not democratic in the least. The whole process is a farce being propped up as a mirage of freedom, while the true cabals of power continue to operate with absolute impunity. Everyone talks like democracy is so great, like democracy will deliver us of our suffering. But there seems to be a very obvious cognitive dissonance between people's words and their behaviour. For instance, we had a referendum on whether the UK should leave the European Union. And yes, I realised that the vote was extremely close, but the vote was cast and we voted to leave. So why did we have such a preposterous difficulty in accepting that? Look at America. In 2016, you had an election and Trump won. Then for the next four years, oh my god, I don't need to remind you how that went. So do you see what I mean? Everyone lords democracy as the greatest of all virtues, but the second they lose, oh well, that's completely unacceptable. People's true colours come shining through. Oh, democracy is great. I love democracy. So long as my choice wins, the second I lose, all hell's going to break loose. I would assume, and this is just conjecture on my part, 
But it would seem that people are fixed on clinging to a principle, regardless of the actual practical results. Take communism, for example. Even today, in the year 2021, there are a remarkable number of people who openly, brazenly, fully support communism. Despite the horrors we have seen as a result of communism, despite the fact that both Russia and China, the two leading communist states, have now completely abandoned communism, people still aren't getting the message. People often say things like, "Oh, we never had true communism," or that it's never been implemented correctly. It would seem the same mindset is being applied to democracy, despite the clear evidence that it is not, at least in its present form, a particularly effective principle to build the governance of our nations around, and it is very clearly being exploited for the benefit of a select chosen few. Despite this, we persist. Now, I'm not telling you that we should abandon our current form of and revert to a fully instated monarchy. I'm just trying to open you up to the idea that maybe things aren't quite working as they could, and we should maybe consider the possibility of change. As Nietzsche famously said, "God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed him." When Nietzsche said this, he was talking about how we entered into an age of scientific enlightenment, and we were uprooting religion. Disregarding traditionally established virtues and social practices, but then we weren't actually going on to replace them with anything of equal or greater value. When people look at the past, even the relatively recent past, people tend to look back with an air of arrogance, as if to say, "Look how primitive we were back then, believing such superstitious nonsense. Not like now. We are so enlightened now. We are so intelligent." Look. Do not confuse technological and scientific advancement as being the only metric by which we can measure the progress of a society. Okay? Yes, we have smartphones, the internet, satellite navigation, but what of community? What of service? What of peace and equanimity? Depending on what you value, you could easily argue that we have actually regressed as a society. Now, let me tell you why I support the British family. Let's start with the Queen. Our glorious Queen Elizabeth. I think it is very easy to overlook what an outstanding job she has done over the course of her life, and take for granted how flawlessly she has conducted herself. For sixty-eight years, she has been the absolute pinnacle of professionalism, stoicism, poise, and refinement. Throughout the turbulent fall of the British Empire after World War II, she has remained steadfast and reliable. But more than that, let's look at William and Harry. William and Harry are distinguished military officers. These are two men, once young boys, who were born into a position of absolute privilege. Privilege is a word that gets thrown around a lot these days, but if it can be applied to anyone, it can be applied to both William and Harry. But despite this, despite the fact that they will never have to worry about money, they will never have to worry about putting food on the table, a roof over their heads, none of those petty concerns. Despite the fact that they could have easily relaxed back into a life of comfort and luxury. They used their elite education. They used their position of privilege to capitalize on the opportunities, and they joined our armed forces. And they qualified as Apache pilots. 
They volunteered and served abroad as Apache pilots in active war zones. For those of you who don't know, the two-man crew who pilot Apache gunships, these guys are basically the modern-day Top Guns. Right now, we do not live in an age where we see a lot of air-to-air combat. Over the last couple of decades, fighter jets have mostly been used for rapid support of ground forces, but Apache gunships, these guys are the real deal. William and Harry didn't just get an honorary title and go sit behind a desk somewhere, officers in name only. No, these are distinguished military officers who have proved their mettle. And you know what? As someone who has served in the British Army, I trust our officers. The British Army has been constantly involved in armed conflicts all over the world for hundreds of years. We don't promote people for political reasons. You've got to be able to do the job. This is no joke. Now let's look at our politicians. <laughs> let's look at these snakes in Downing Street, these bureaucrats and businessmen. I wouldn't trust a single one of them for as long as I can hold my breath. Are you kidding me? None of them are qualified to run a brothel, let alone a country. But William and Harry, I'll tell you right now, I would trust them with my life. Honestly, British military officers, I would follow them into battle. I would carry out their orders and I would do so with absolute faith in their integrity and their expertise, which they have proven of themselves. Now, I understand that the institution itself of the royal family does not guarantee anything. If we look globally at other royal families, what do we have? Many of the European royal families were brutally murdered in cultural revolutions like France and Russia as people turned against the rich. And of the European royal families that have survived, almost all of them exist in a purely ceremonial position with absolutely no real power and look as though they will fade into obscurity over the coming generations. The Thai royal family is a perfect example of how a single generational change can collapse the entire family. When I travelled to Thailand in 2011, King Rama IX was on the throne. And from what I saw and experienced in Thailand during my time there, he was actually very well respected and a much-loved head of state. From what I have read online, he was actually the wealthiest royal in the world with a personal fortune of over $30 billion. And I also understand that talking negatively of the royal family was expressly forbidden in Thailand. But honestly, I saw a lot of genuine respect and admiration for his work and what he did for the country. Whether that was earned or not, I can't say. But the people I spoke to and interacted with really liked him. In 2016, King Rama IX died and three years later his son was crowned king. His son does not inspire the same love or admiration as his father. I remember when his father died, there was a picture of him getting into a car wearing flip-flops, a vest that was too small for him, and a pair of shorts with his ass hanging out. He was looking like absolute shit while military officers saluted him. It was very embarrassing. Since then, we've seen a lot of open protest against the royal family and the rich elite of Thailand in general. It looks like the whole system is falling apart fast. We've certainly seen this before. Remember the great and noble Marcus Aurelius? He was one of history's greatest leaders, one of the noblest emperors to ever live. And who did he pass his reign to? 
his son Commodus, who was by all accounts a petty and cruel tyrant, whose rule marked the beginning of the fall of the Holy Roman Empire. This is often one of the key arguments against monarchy, that it doesn't guarantee proper leadership. Nothing guarantees proper leadership. What has democracy given us? Trump? Hillary? Biden? Boris? Macron? Honestly, is this the best we have? These weak, ineffectual bureaucrats are a disgrace to all of us collectively. If it were possible, which I know it is not, as our constitution does not permit members of the royal family to run for office, but if it were possible, I would vote for Prince William in a heartbeat. I trust him far more than I trust any of the sycophants and backbiters we have running our country now. And if he were elected head of state, let's say Prince William takes the throne and usurps our government taking control of Britain. What's next? Prince George? Maybe Prince George will become a tyrant. Who knows? But if he does, then we'll have to depose him and instate someone else. I can't speak for the future, but right now, looking at the choices we have available to us, I'd say Prince William is the best we've got. Let me talk to you about the Japanese royal family. This is something that has been bothering me a lot and I really want to express this. When I was living in Tokyo, I heard a lot of local people on several occasions talk about Japanese people during World War II as being brainwashed into believing that the emperor is a living god and fighting to the death in his name. This makes me so fucking mad. I'm sorry, please excuse my language, but this really upsets me. World War II was less than a hundred years ago. We're not talking about people who lived hundreds or thousands of years ago. We're talking about the grandparents and great-grandparents of the people listening to this podcast right now, many of whom are still alive. They weren't idiots. They weren't simple, backward savages who didn't know any better. How dare you say that they were brainwashed? This is a typical example of loser's guilt, which you see a lot in Germans too. A lot of Japanese people now, today, have been brainwashed into thinking that everything Japan did in World War II was so terrible and evil, that Japan were the bad guys in World War II. That is complete bullshit and a total disrespect to the men and women who fought and died for their country. Listen, I'm not going to go into the politics of Japan attacking Pearl Harbor and the circumstances preceding that and who was or was not at fault. That's not what I'm interested in. And I don't want to bring up things like Unit 371. Everyone on all sides did inexcusable things and unforgivable crimes. It was full-scale global war. No one came out of it with clean hands. What I want to talk about are the average Japanese people, the regular people on the ground, the unremarkable day-to-day people whose names and faces are quickly being forgotten. Okay, listen to me. Imagine this. Let me paint you a picture. Imagine it's 1942. You are in your early 20s. You live in the Shikoku region of Japan. You live with your family in a medium-sized town, not totally out in the countryside, but not in a major city, just a regular Japanese life. Now, what you need to understand, what was Japan like back in 1942? At that time, you've never seen a TV, right? What do you know of the world? 
You've probably never been abroad. Maybe you'll read a little about the outside world in the occasional newspaper, but generally speaking, your entire life is your town. You and your whole family live and die in this one town. Everything you know is in your local area. All of the clothes you wear, the songs you hear, the traditions you practice, the events and the holidays you observe, everything you know, literally your entire world is your local Japanese culture. You've probably never even seen a foreigner, maybe even barely heard foreign languages. Everything you know and love is your family, your friends you grew up with, your neighbors, your local community. What does the Japanese royal family represent to you? They are Japan. What is a country? A country is nothing without the people in it, the culture, the traditions and customs they create. Whenever you think of a country, what do you think of? You don't immediately think of the geographical features of that country, dispassionately devoid of people. No, you think of the culture, the people, the language. What does Japan mean to you? What does Japan mean to the regular people who live there, who back in 1942 knew nothing else? The emperor and the royal family represent the pinnacle of that. They are the archetype Japanese family. They represent the entire country as a single unifying family. Because that's what Japan is it's a family, it's a collection of people, it's a community. So, back in 1942, when these young men are told that their country has gone to war with America, what are they to think about that? Their home is under attack. It doesn't matter who's right and wrong, they have no way of being aware of the specific events and circumstances that led to that war. What matters to them is that they are at war. And that means that their home is under attack. Can you imagine how that feels? I don't think most people now in our modern global age can really imagine what that must actually feel like. To think that your family are under threat, your home, your friends, and your neighbors, the culture you grew up with, the traditions and celebrations you enjoy each season, to imagine that they could all be crushed under the boots of a foreign alien invader. When the Japanese soldiers shout Heika Banzai, I'm sure they don't actually think that he is a literal living god. They are venerating the emperor as the leader of Japan, the leader of their country, the leader of everything they have ever known and loved. It's the exact same in the UK when we say God save the queen or for king and country. They represent the world we know, the culture and society we live in. Japanese people weren't brainwashed, quite the opposite. They had greater clarity of purpose than the people living now do. They knew what they were fighting for. They had an individual cause and purpose. What do the people living in Tokyo fight for now? What's their great cause? The average salaryman sacrifices his life for what? For a company that doesn't give a shit about him? To earn money to pay rent on an overpriced apartment? To go on holiday for one week a year? Where is the community? Where is the connection? Tokyo is a city of 30 million people where no one talks to anyone. Tradition is dying. Cultures and practices that have been upheld for hundreds of years have been relegated to novelties in the passage of a single generation. And what have they been replaced with? YouTube and Netflix? 
Nietzsche was right. God is dead. If only he knew how right he was. I apologize, but it makes me so mad. The absolute audacity of these people to disregard their direct ancestors as brainwashed. They're the ones who are brainwashed. Brainwashed into working jobs they hate, to pay for shit they don't need. No connection, no family, no community, no culture. They should apologize to their grandparents, apologize for the state that they've let this great country descend into. I'll say one more thing. One thing that I want whoever is listening to consider. These institutions, these traditions, the royal family, these things are developed over hundreds or even thousands of years. The slow accumulation of culture evolves to develop these things by which we now identify our heritage. You must be aware it is extremely easy to destroy them but almost impossible to rebuild. Once they are gone, they are gone. Like the gods and traditions of Rome or ancient Egypt, where are they now? What few relics we have are found in museums or textbooks, unobserved and forgotten. The same will happen to any culture given enough time. Do you like the culture of your own country? Let me give you an example. To those of you listening to this in Japan, what does Japanese culture mean to you? Think about it. Now I ask you, how many kimono do you own? How often do you wear kimono? How often do you visit your local shrine? Or do you play any instruments? The koto, the shamisen? Do you practice shodo or karate, judo? When was the last time you went to see no or kabuki? These things will not exist forever. They will not preserve themselves. Only you have the power to preserve them. Disregard YouTube. Forget about Netflix. Don't go on Reddit. Stop wasting your time with this cultural poison. Preserve the culture and tradition of your people. To finish... I would like to read to you the oath I swore when I joined the British Army. The Oath of Allegiance. I, Lewis, full name, do solemnly, sincerely and truthfully declare and affirm that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, her heirs and successors, and that I will, as in duty bound, honestly and faithfully defend Her Majesty, her heirs and successors, in person, crown and dignity, against all enemies, and will observe and obey all orders of Her Majesty, her heirs and successors, and of the generals and officers set over me. As always, thank you for listening. This is something I have wanted to talk about since I first started recording the podcast. I've put it off because I have a lot of thoughts and opinions on this topic that are hard to organize in my mind. And of course, I know this is something that people have a lot of conflicting views about. As I've talked about this, I know I've shifted about talking about the royals, but also talking about culture and tradition in general, blurring the lines between cultural preservation and actual political governance. But I just want to give you some ideas. Consider things from another perspective. 
It is very easy to simply disregard the royal family, but the problem is that they're not being replaced with anything. I'm all for logic and reason, I think you know that, but all I see is a cold, sterile pursuit of a political system that does not work, led by weak, virtueless bureaucrats. We cannot fix our problems from the top down. The solution is found from the bottom up. We need a profound shift in mindset. Each of us, individually, must pursue virtue, must preserve our heritage, and work together with our community to build something we can share, together, here and now. Or not. Or you can go buy an iPhone, eat at McDonald's, watch Netflix, shop on Amazon, sell your soul, worship the devil. <laughs> Do whatever you want, man. Live your life. Thank you again. Much love and respect to you all. In the next episode, I would like to talk to you about the importance of physical stillness in meditation and how this bodily stillness will translate into mental stillness. I hope you're having a great day, a fantastic month, an incredible year. It's summer now. Let's go out, get some fresh air and sunlight, commune with the spirit of nature, return to the earth from whence we came. I wish you all the best. Keep studying and practicing. For those on the way, become the way. <laughs>